Welcome to Sit Down with RHS, a podcast from the Royal Hospital School where we bring to life how the school makes a unique impact to young people's lives. In this series, we're sitting down with members of the alumni to hear how RHS set them up for success, not just academically, but we're looking into what sort of general life skills they learnt. How did they build their confidence and resilience to thrive and follow their ambitions? We've heard from a whole range of different people so far. We've heard from an actress and a singer, an athlete, an artist, a Paralympian, an environmental engineer. We've got a whole lot more wonderful people to come. Today, we're sitting down with Jack Beeman, tech entrepreneur and angel investor and now CEO of Indeed Flex. So Jack left RHS in 2005, went on to work at a startup, and there he sort of used that experience to go out and branch out on his own with a co-founder to set up a new business in the tech space, um, disrupting the temporary staffing sector. So fascinating story. We hear what Jack most enjoyed about his time at RHS, all the wonderfully different people that you meet there, and particularly why it was the ideal environment to flex his entrepreneurial muscles. I mean, fascinating story. So this this episode is particularly interesting for anyone who's aspiring to be an entrepreneur out there. I'll hand over to your host, Arabella Nordi, speaking to Jack Beeman. Well, thank you, Jack, so much for joining me today. Um, so, I mean, I think the interesting thing would be just to tell us, what are you currently up to at the moment? And, um, you know, how are you basically, I mean, obviously, there's so many different things that you've been doing since you left RHS. It'd be lovely to hear, though, what you're up to at the moment. Um, so these days, I mean, over the last six years, has been a bit of a whirlwind journey. Um, you know, going from starting my own company, uh, to going through a bunch of investments round, investment rounds to then getting acquired by an American company called Indeed. It's been a bit of a whirlwind, um, but, you know, uh, I got through, let's call it like the earnout period that a lot of founders uh, typically go through post-exit. And unlike most founders who then run away and do something different at that point, I've uh, decided to uh, stay in my role for the long run um, as I'm, you know, very happy remaining to be uh, CEO of Indeed Flex, which until recently was uh, called SIFT. Um, and SIFT was the company which I started six years or so ago. Um, so now we have uh, operations here in the UK, as we always have, because we're originally a British company. Um, and then as of about a year or so ago, um, we launched in the US. So uh, I've kind of, you know, added the bow under my belt or whatever you call that saying of um, having to, change a company in the UK, a long-standing company sort of such in the UK during the middle of a pandemic and then launch a whole entire new country during a pandemic. So it's uh, been uh, been an unusual experience the last uh, couple of years or so. But then again, it's been pretty unusual for most people. So I'm probably not unique in that sense. Yeah, well, I must say it. Well, thanks. I mean, whirlwind. I mean, actually, one question I suppose I would like to ask you is, you say that you stayed as a CEO and that is actually an unusual thing. It's particularly when you've been inquired. What was it that made you think that this is something you wanted to do? We got, we got really lucky, right? You know, a lot of companies, when they get acquired, the people doing the acquiring are looking to take the company and turn it, basically take it in their direction that they want to do it, right? You know, we got very lucky with Indeed that, you know, we are both very like-minded companies in terms of what our goals is, you know, we're very sort of worker-centric in that, you know, both of us, we were talking the same talk, but doing it for like different sectors as such, you know, um, Indeed was focused around job search and getting people primary access to full-time employment, whereas our focus was more in the sort of 
agency world and how do we get access to um, give people access, sort of democratize access to work and people essentially, but focused around how do we make it really good for the worker. So we were kind of talking the same talk. And so because we're very aligned around our missions and goals, it kind of made sense that when they acquired us to continue with us and allow us to try and take forward our vision, but leverage all of like the good things that Indeed, et cetera, has. Um, and so, you know, very lucky, all very lovely people in the fact that they acquired us, not just because they like the company, but also because they like mine and Novo's vision, who's my, the guy I started the company with. Um, and so far, they still trust us. So just going back a step, I mean, obviously, we will go back as well, um, Jack, because there's so many interesting things that you've done. And even just thinking back to your time at school and university, what is it that actually, I suppose, in some ways inspired you? What, what was behind this innovation for SIF, now indeed Flex? Um, it kind of, look, the reality is, I don't know, there's, there's, there's a couple of different factors, right? Is that like, one is if you can take it at like a, just a prior to starting SIF, right? Is that out of university, um, at the time I was working in a uh, bar as a waiter in Mykonos about 15, 16 years ago. And um, a lot of the people that would go through there would meet a lot of people every single night and became mates with a lot of people throughout those years. And one of them was starting a startup at the time. It's an online learning company called uh, Fuse Universal. Um, they had about three, four employees at the time. And uh, I was about to leave university, looking around and talking to people about jobs, etc. And he said to me, why don't you join the company um, that he had just started. I mean, I have to admit, I didn't know what e-learning was at the time, um, but I needed a job, so I said yes. Um, <laughs> I eventually learned what e-learning was. Um, it's quite a big deal these days, especially when you're talking about related to school and education. Um, but at the time, it wasn't. This was like at the beginning, early-ish early days of the industry. The industry was making a big change there at the time, away from school-based e-learning to video-based learning. Um, and I joined as employee number three, and within a couple of years or so, we'd grown to 100, 150 odd people. Um, and quite naturally, like I'd been there from the earliest days to within four years, having been working within marketing, within sales there, supported when we were developing our product, um, et cetera. So I guess like a stakeholder such, and I'd also even become an investor after a couple of years, after having saved up a bit of money and then, uh, what you could argue was probably a silly decision at the time to chuck all that money into it to uh, help us one month, but it ended up being a really good decision in the end. So I kind of went through like a very sort of entrepreneurial journey, mm. almost like by mistake to an extent. Um, and that kind of led from one thing to another, which then ended up me thinking that I could, having seen what we'd been through, thinking that actually I wanted to try and do my own thing. Um, and I'd worked for a temp agency when I was at university. Um, so I understood that side of things. And it was at that time where Airbnb, Uber, all these sorts of companies were coming out. And they were basically all creating on-demand marketplaces for uh, various different sectors. So it's a bit like if you rewounded for, you know, 20 years ago, people, everyone was like, we are the Google for this. Then it became, we are the Facebook for this. And then with Uber coming back, everyone was like, we're the Uber for this. So people were essentially just trying to take a concept and take it into a different market and develop a company. Um I probably took more inspiration in reality from the likes of Airbnb, booking.com in terms of how we operate and stuff. How can we evolve the way that uh, you get access to temp work and giving more control choice, uh, uh, greater uh, greater pay, uh, et cetera, and be able to collect um, access work in a far quicker, far more meaningful um, sort of manner than before. Um, so that's how things kind of start on that side. Um, 
And now, even though like I grew up very sort of apart from my family as such, when I look back now, even though there was a not a huge amount of influence, I mean, certainly, for example, I never met my granddad. Um, he was hugely entrepreneurial, inventing a bunch of very well-known things. Um, so, you know, then you look at the mother, they were all sort of artists and um, artists and fashion designers. And then you look at my dad as well, who was involved in the aviation industry. Um, uh, so he started his own flying school um, back in like the 80s, um, as well as running uh, helicopters out of Battersea Heliport. And like, whilst I can't say that anyone had that gigantic influence on me growing up, um, seeing as I was, you know, at school from the age of 11 and only back for holidays, just with only my father every now and again. Um, it's, you kind of have to say, maybe it's in the blood sort of thing at the same time. Like maybe the, maybe there is some DNA, DNA connection, like, uh, you know, like I was and just to go totally off track here randomly. I was watching something of Ian McKellen going back through his history mm. um, last night and he had no immediate actors in his family as far as he was aware. Then he went back two generations and found out that they were all actors in the 1800s. And obviously they had no influence over him. And so you do start to wonder, like, where well, is there like a, some sort of, you know, DNA impact? And Lord knows, I have no idea. Um, but, you know, I think that's kind of like a short version story about how somehow ended up into, you know, what's been a bit of a, bit of a crazy life um, over the last six years. Oh, I mean, I mean, do you know, there's quite a few questions spring to mind. So I'm just going to throw a few of them and you can decide which ones you want to pick up first. Like, what is the motivator for you? So obviously you're talking about <clears throat> setting up this business and talking about when you were working in bars and all that experience. Is the motivator for you, the entrepreneurial side, setting up something new, doing something different? Or is it about the product and trying to do something better? So that's probably one question. And I was also thinking as well about, uh, actually, no, I'm going to leave that question. So what is the motivator for you? Um, I, I like changing things. Um, you know, I always give it as an example, like, you know, we could be selling loo roll potentially and if it changed the way the whole world bought access to loo roll i'd probably find it quite interesting in reality i quite like the idea the sort of entrepreneurial nature of change that being said i absolutely love hospitality which was the original sector that we first started uh doing work in and i always wanted to continue to work in hospitality but maybe not doing quite the same many hours that I was doing working in a bar back in the day um which I did for you know a good five six years or so before sort of uh, getting into the sort of more startup world side of things. So it did kind of allow me really to glue together a bunch of things, which I really enjoyed doing. Um, so it's like to cop out, it's a bit of a mixture. Okay, fine. And also, okay, so what I was thinking then is when you were talking about Fuse Universal and the e-learning. Now, if I said to your teachers that you you went in working for a platform that was all about e-learning, would they say, oh, yes, I mean, he was always someone who thought, take no, they, on board I was, that. I was a terrible student at school. I was a terrible student at university too. <laughs> Um, like, you know, I think teachers would probably find it funny if they, one, found out that I ended up doing what I did anyway. Um, and secondly, um, uh, secondly, found out that the first job I went into more or less call it sort of office job was based around education and learning. Cause you know, I was the first person that wanted to get onto the sports field rather than stay in the class. So yeah, so so I mean, this is interesting. So what when you met that a person in this bar in Mykonos? I love this sort of. This feels a bit like an apocryphal story. Uh, you know, we all start our lives in Mykonos. But what was it about what they were saying to you that made you think, right, that is something I want to get involved in? Uh, the education system for me, like, is was is less so. Certainly improved a lot these days. Um, was very very formal and very structured. 
Um, and I tend to learn things in a rather informal and unstructured way. And so sticking someone in a classroom and saying, this is what you're doing each day um, can for some people be quite painful, right? Um, and so I think it was more a case of, I think I understood when we, when I started to finally understand what e-learning was and what it was aimed to do, right? You know, traditionally learning was about taking people through a compliance-based course, which is what most people remember e-learning for in the corporate world. Whereas we were trying to move things towards how do you provide content and access to knowledge at the point of need so you can learn more in an informal, unstructured way on the go via your mobile, essentially. Um, and to me, that seemed a far more logical way to learn in the same way that, you know, typically I learn things because suddenly I hear about something and I want to learn about it immediately then and there. I go onto Google, I go onto YouTube, and at the point of need, I start to learn about what I want to learn about rather than go, I just heard about something, I need to go and do a year's course to go learn about this now. It's not really, it's not how you traditionally go after things. And so I think from one sense, perhaps because I wasn't the best student at school or university, I kind of understood that there was a gap in terms of how perhaps things could be improved. And it's, you know, it's great. You see a lot of, a lot of schools these days and a lot of higher education institutions are absolutely taking that on board and now provide access to a lot of their content, a lot of their information um, at the point of sort of need within, you know, bite-sized videos online, et cetera, which, you know, 10 years ago barely existed anywhere. Yeah. And, and as you say, a lot of content is now being made for mobiles. No, no, I mean, I think it's a fascinating thing uh, thinking about how you were and what, what you feel that was actually the need and chat sort of changing, disrupting. So going back to the opportunity when you got to RHS, I mean, what would you describe yourself um, like as a pupil there? And what, what did the sort of time there perhaps teach you? I think like the first, the first years with, I think with a lot of kids that go to RHS can, well, the first six months, say, can be a bit of a climatization type period. You know, you're going potentially from a very normal school to suddenly a military school with a lot more rules. Um, and so I think the first few months were certainly a bit of a shell shock going from, I think, France at the time to then to, then to there. Um, but it didn't take too long, to be honest, to learn, sort of like to really enjoy it. And I'd say the vast majority of my time in the end, it ended up really enjoying. You know, it's, you get over pretty quickly. Um, you know, the sort of different types of rules and stuff like that. And in the end, you find yourself that you've got a very good education um, that is available for you to partake if you want to partake. <laughs> and sometimes I maybe needed convincing, but that wasn't down to anything due to the education. That was more down to my own mentality. Um, and then you've got all the sports opportunities and stuff like that. And, you know, and I know that they like to uh, pin themselves up for this, but they do very much encourage like sort of independent thinking as such. You know, it's not... It's not sort of so found upon, and I like what they've done in the last sort of few years or so, you know, going back, I think it's like two, three years ago now, there was far more focus around, you know, the idea that, say, for example, startups exist. Um, you know, back when I went to school, and this was the same with pretty much law schools at the time, it was very much, you know, you went to school and the idea was you're going to be a doctor, a lawyer, PwC, Accenture, mm -hmm. on a training course, on a bank or something like that, right, you know. You could far tell that these days they're still orientated to providing opportunities for people to go down that path without doubt. But there's also a huge amount of focus on, you know, who are the people who are going to start the next startup that's going to change X or X, right? And I think that was really good to see um, sort of last time I popped by as such. Um, but no, so despite, you know, perhaps those sorts of opportunities not quite being there in the same way that when I was there, which is more due to the times, this was like early 2000s. Start, you know, the dot-com bubble had just burst, <laughs> essentially. People were wondering <laughs> whether they, they were even going to come about ever again. 
um, you know, it was it was it was a good time, and uh, you know, I think it it helped in in many senses, sort of you know, for what was coming next as such. What characteristics do you think that you developed? But due to the sort of setup of the school, you talk about the rules and the convincing. I mean, are there characteristics you feel that were home? Two things. Yeah. I've thought about this before and I've also said it before. Um, one is I think a lot of the people that go to RHS and being a little bit of a, and I actually use the sort of word chameleon, um, you get people from working class backgrounds to other types of backgrounds. It's a real big mix due to the nature, due to the, how the funding works and this and that. You get people from all walks of life. So you're not just stuck around a bunch of incredibly posh people or just a bunch of people from a working class background or whatever, etc. You're around a bunch of people from all sorts of backgrounds. And so you kind of end up leaving there with the ability to kind of interact with all sects of society as such, by and large. And I think that ends up proving really valuable to people further down the line in that you don't you're not really viewed as being like one or the other. You can kind of like mix and match in between. Um, and the other one, which I say with more of like a cheeky of a grin, is that there's a lot of rules. Um, and it, you know, be a bit boring to not learn how to break them or push the boundaries. And so with so many rules in place, we kind of, a lot of us learn how to push the boundaries, but without pushing them so far, whereby you truly got into trouble. Don't get me wrong. A lot of us did get into trouble, but like, and I think that's a really good thing. If you look about when you start a startup, for example, right, it's about pushing the boundaries to learn about how far can you push the boundaries when starting a company without pushing them to a point whereby you've done something really bad or illegal, et cetera, whatever. But like all companies right now that are doing something new in the world, they're pushing the limits and boundaries of what people thought they could do, right? And, you know, in a much smaller way, <laughs> RHS kind of in its own little like goldfish um, pond sort of thing, it taught you how like to sort of push and get away with things. Do you know, actually, it's a very insightful point because I think the the more the clear the boundaries are, it does give you security, but also gives you opportunity, doesn't it? And all that you've talked about with disrupting and challenging the status quo. Yes, that, you know, now they kind of look back through your, you know, path, career actually begins to sort of see that that is something that has actually been huge for you. So, I mean, you know, obviously what you're doing now um, and using those opportunities, bringing together these two companies and choosing that I mean you know what, what does your day-to-day look like Jack what are you actually focusing at the moment your attention's on um uh, look we one is we're in the toughest recruitment market the world has ever seen in all likelihood um and I hope it, it is the toughest we ever see um you know you have the impacts of Brexit then pandemic sped up the impact of Brexit lots of people have left the UK um you know, there's a huge lack of haulage drivers across the UK. Hospitality is reopening quickly, but not got enough workers. Warehouse um, shelves can't be stacked quick enough at the moment with the move to online. It's an incredibly difficult market if you look at the UK. Um, US market has its own issues, etc. as well. Um, so it's kind of like biding my time between trying to focus on making sure that a company that has already been around existed, i.e. in what was SIFT and OMDFETS in the UK, continues to play a strong and big role in helping that sort of rebound in the UK happen and ensure that people get access to work and uh, clients get access to the right workers, etc., um, and improve those conditions. Um, but at the same time, as focus on uh, without, you know, focus on the US, which for us is a new market, which have been in for a year or so. So I actually fly back to the US on Monday. Um, I live, I spend my time between Austin and London, um, so I'll be going back to Austin for, I don't know, a good few months or so, et cetera. So it's, it's a bit of a time, you know, 
the role, as we get more and more employed, more and more people, my role changes from a doing role to a decision-making role to an extent. You know, we employ a lot of very good people in management roles, then below that and below that, et cetera, who are far better at doing things than I am in their, you know, respective divisions, et cetera. So it'd be mad for me to continue trying to do the doing part in the same way that we did it when we were five people six years ago, for example. What do you think? What What do you think you're going to miss in this, those things change? Or um, you, you look. The reality is, once you get to the like this sort of size and stuff, and your role changes to more of a strategic decision making role, more so day to day. You know, you start your role changes, and you do question whether you you know whether your value is as much as it used to be, right? You know, and the reality is, when you think about it, it's you know it absolutely is. But you do definitely have these sort of moments and going like. You know, some days like, what is it? What am I meant to be doing now? You know, no one teaches you this. This isn't something you learn on a business course. This isn't something you learn at university or school. This is something you learn when it happens. And you have to lean on people, you know, that are been there and done it before. I'm very fortunate to be able to lean on some CEOs of some multi-billion turnover companies in the US and worldwide, etc. On a daily basis, if I need to ask them for advice, reassurance that I'm not completely losing my mind, etc. Um, and that give me a good sense of direction, etc. You know, so I think, you know, the most important thing is just to continue to ask questions of people that have been there and done it before you, and you stand a much better chance of not getting lost or making the wrong decisions. Yeah, actually, advice and asking questions, I think is a very powerful one. I mean, have you always been somebody who's who's done that? Or is that something you characteristics that you have developed yeah it must annoy people a lot they, they must wonder what I really do I just ask a lot of questions the whole time it's either because I don't know it <laughs> know anything or it's because I'm trying to use everyone um, but you know we were very lucky you know from early days um, when we started SIFT we had a uh, an incredible group of investors whether it be some of the top venture capital funds um, in Europe um, or whether it be you know the founders of GameSys, which recently exited for a few billion, the founders of Bebo, um, and a whole bunch of others, which I'm unfortunately going to forget now, um, or founder of Velocity and a few other people, etc. And, you know, these guys had sort of, you know, been around for a little while, um, had grown huge companies. And, you know, it was, you could kind of call them up any day, any day light, um, whenever we got in a spot bother to ask, you know, what we should do. Um, and so, yeah, you know, it was it was important to have access to those people. Certainly, about those people, the route and journey would have been a lot harder. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, and I think that is actually a, such a powerful thing, isn't it? So, if you were speaking, like, let's say you were talking to year thirteen, year so you know, the last year at RHS, and some of them were interested or you know had this idea of not going down traditional routes, as you say, you know, going for all these different roles. What would you say to them? What would be your advice? Um, those that don't come from wealthy backgrounds are going to immediately find it incredibly difficult to launch a company, etc. because, you know, you need stability behind you. You need uh, someone to finance you, etc. And that's really difficult to find, right? Um, you know, and that's kind of the situation that I found myself in when I, you know, left university as such. So joining another startup um, and working a few years there, starting to learn how a startup operates, how it goes, the different divisions, making some connections to people perhaps who have financed that company, et cetera, can stand you in then good stead for having, for getting to know the right people. That's essentially how I got into doing it was the fact that, you know, I spent four years in a high growth startup and met a bunch of people which, you know, were investors, worked in sales, worked in marketing, was involved in product and engineering a little bit, et cetera. So I kind of understood that, you know, if 
you come from a different type of background, you know, slightly more wealthy background, perhaps you can afford through friends and family for your first idea to, you know, get some money to be able to immediately start to go out and, you know, invest things. If you happen to be in computer engineering and you already know how to code yourself, perhaps you don't need either and you can, you know, get to a first working product by yourself without the need for outside help. So it, it totally depends on who you are, you know, and some ways are harder than others, um, but there are ways that I think everyone can get there. It's just the journey is a bit harder for certain people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, thank you. And I mean, do you, do you, is it also, would you say that it's necessary to be, have a lot of wide experience? Would you suggest that they have experience of different things? Because you talk about marketing, you talk about sales, you're obviously CEO. I'm not good at anything in particular, I wouldn't say. Like, and not to use my name, but I might be the jack of all trades, master of none. Um, you know, I certainly, my background is primarily sales. I still play to my strengths, um, without doubt. I recognize where my weaknesses are and we hire other people to make sure that my weaknesses don't become an issue. And I try not to never let my ego get in the way of pretending I know something in an area that is clearly a weakness for me. Otherwise I just embarrass myself anyway. Um, and so, yeah, look, I think it's just important to, you know, to focus on, Know what you're good at, play towards that, but then, you know, hire better people around you to ensure that that doesn't become an issue. Okay. Well, I just, because it's only making me think about this whole idea, as you say, used to be the advice, wasn't it? Like, be the master of something, not the jack of all trades. But actually, do you think our economic sort of situation has changed around us that actually it is about having a wider skill set? And It depends on your role, right? You know, if I have a software engineer, I want them to be amazing at software engineering. (laughs) Um, you know, I want them to be great Rubens Rails developer because that's what they're good at. I'm not so bothered if they're good at, you know, uh, Node or Java or whatever. I want them to be a great Ruby on Rails developer because that's exactly what we hire and what we want them to be. And I'm never going to be that, right? You know, but when you're in my role as the person in charge of the company, it's far better off that you have a wider skill set that kind of understands to an extent most things and can play a role in decision making and guide around strategy and guide and, you know, lead the company as such. But it wouldn't be that helpful if I was okay at Ruby and Rails in terms of in terms of software development, because I'd still be way worse than anyone else we hire, and I wouldn't be able to contribute that much. No, I mean, okay. and then that is that is so true, isn't it? Is about developing those around you and having the right team around you. Well, Jack, it's been fascinating talking to you this afternoon, um, and just hearing everything you've done and taken place over this period, particularly, as you say, in the last two years, which have been such a challenge and working geographically across two places. So before I finish, everyone I've spoken to has sort of mentioned one or two strange words that RHS uses that doesn't sort of don't seem to be heard in any other parts of the world. What could you remember any particular words for things or when you arrived, you thought, what on earth are they talking about? We'll go into mess. Mess time. Yeah, that, that eventually I learned meant food, which obviously then I never forgot. <laughs> yeah, things like divisions and stuff like that, you know, you don't hear that anywhere else. Um, I really can't remember the other ones. I know there's a lot of them, though. Um, certainly anyone that goes to school there for the first couple of weeks is going to feel like it's a foreign world. Oh, amazing. Well, Egg, thank you for those two that you remembered. And um, it's been great to speak to you today. Um, and so we well, obviously, for, for me, we'll look forward to hearing more about Indeed Flex and to see what, what you go on to next and where this where this sort of takes you. So thank you. 
And that was Jack Beeman, tech entrepreneur and current CEO of IndeedFlex. Thanks so much, Jack, for coming on the show and sharing your reflection of your time at RHS and telling us about the life of a tech entrepreneur. So thank you very much. That's all for today, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast player so you never miss an episode and you continue to be inspired by these incredible people who all started out at RHS. Thanks for being with us today. We look forward to welcoming you back next time.